Please turn in your Bibles to this morning's scripture, Hebrews chapter 2, verses 10 through 18. If you would like to follow along using a pew Bible, you can find the passage on page 1002. Hebrews 2, beginning with verse 10. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Let's ask the Lord to speak to us through his word today. Father, as we sit beneath your word today, we ask that you would show us a glimpse of Jesus. Enable us through the power of your word and through the power of your Holy Spirit to look more like him today, we ask in his name. Amen. If you are new to St. Andrews or watching online or visiting perhaps, it is our habit here to work through books of the Bible, little by little, from beginning uh, to end in our sermon series. And we recently began a new series in the book of Hebrews, Looking Forward in Faith. The Bible has all that we need for instruction in how to live lives that are pleasing to God. But far more than an instruction book, it is the living word of God which the Holy Spirit uses to transform our lives, making us look more and more like our brother, Jesus Christ. And that is our message today. Jesus is our brother. Having a brother is a mixed bag, isn't it? They can be your worst enemy at times and your best friend at others. Jesus shows, it what it shows us what it looks like to be a perfect brother. And in a world as upside down as ours is, we need a brother who is sure and steady, an anchor, a rock. One who will always be there for us through every challenge and through every trial of life. And Jesus is that brother. In this section of the letter, the writer continues his exposition of Scripture 
by drawing our attention to two more Old Testament passages, Psalm 22 and Isaiah chapter 8. The first of these quotes in verse 12 says, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. He uses this text from Psalm 22 as a proof text for what he said in verse 11. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source, and that is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. The fact that the author tells us that Jesus calls us brothers is an astounding truth that we can take great comfort and joy in today. Perhaps the author was also aware of a first-hand account of Jesus in Mark's gospel in chapter 3. In this story about Jesus and in his life, we find him early in his ministry. He has just called all 12 of his disciples to himself, his apostles. He's well into his teaching and healing ministry among many crowds. But in this instance, we find him returning home to eat and to rest. He's perhaps exhausted after spending all this energy with the crowds. But alas, another crowd has pressed in on him and is preventing him and his disciples from even being able to, to eat and to feed their bodies. Some scribes were there, and they were harassing and accusing him of being demon-possessed. His family got wind of what was going on, and they were attempting an intervention, perhaps, at this point, to extract him out of the mess that he found himself in. And the family was even thinking to themselves, Jesus is out of his mind. And some in the crowd said this to him. Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. Jesus answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. The author of Hebrews is picking up on this idea and giving us some of the implications of Christ being our brother. He's already alluded to it in verse 10 that we began in our passage today when he says, He, speaking of God, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. It tells us that God is bringing many sons to glory through the suffering of his only son, Jesus Christ. That's important that you don't get hung up on the masculine language here by bringing your 21st century cultural context to the passage. This isn't about male versus female in the kingdom. Paul tells the Galatians, in fact, that in Christ there is no male-female distinction. We're all one in him. Here, as we've seen already in the letter and in other New Testament passages that speak of these ideas, the author is concerned with status in the kingdom, not gender differences. In nearly every civilization in the history of humanity, there exists some kind of family pecking order, especially when it comes to doling out property or inheritance, the end of one's life. 
And for good or for bad, in most cultures, the best position to be in in a family is that of the firstborn son. He was the one who got the bulk of the inheritance. You didn't want to be son number five or daughter number three. The point here is not to argue over whether that is a fair and equitable practice. Rather, we're to see that in terms of our own position in Christ, we are joint heirs with our brother, the firstborn son of God. And we share in that sonship with him, united to him. All of us, male, female, young, old, this is an astounding and marvelous truth. We expands on this idea that he who sanctifies, that's speaking of Jesus, who makes us holy, he perfects us through the process of sanctification in our lives. He who sanctifies and those who are sanctified, believers, us, all have one source. And that's why he's not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, and this is where he quotes Psalm 22. And a reminder, Psalm 22 is that messianic psalm that begins with Jesus' words from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so clearly Jesus is speaking in and through Psalm 22. And the author of Hebrews applies it to him right here. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. Christ our brother is near to us. It's unclear in the text if the one source that we share with Jesus is that of a common human nature uh, found in Adam or if it refers to God, the author of life, or perhaps even to Abraham as he mentions later. But either way, it means that Jesus is one of us and that he is near to us. God became flesh and blood in the person of Jesus Christ. And he continues, Jesus is not ashamed of us. That's amazing. Because he has purchased our salvation on the cross and given us his righteousness, he's able to call us his brothers. And if you follow after him, Jesus, in the midst of your weakness... In the midst of your failings, in the midst of your sin, is not ashamed to call you brother or sister. That's amazing. And this solidarity with us is expressed in these three scriptural quotes from Psalm 22 and from Isaiah 8. I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. I will put my trust in him. Behold, I and the children God has given me. The psalmist gives us a picture of our brother standing right alongside us through the storms and difficulties of this life, singing the praises of the Father with us through our tears, through our brokenness. Wow. Christ, our brother, is near. He is Emmanuel, God with us. Well, this begs the question in reverse, though doesn't it? Are you and I ever ashamed of him? Well, if anyone in this relationship has a right to be ashamed of the other, 
It's not us. Jesus gives us both instruction and warning concerning our identifying with him, also in the Gospel of Mark. There he says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. This is both a warning, but it's a gentle warning that we must not be ashamed of our Savior. He is not ashamed of us. He is not ashamed to call us brother. And may we never be ashamed of the one who shed his blood for us. But instead, may we lose our lives for his sake and for the sake of the gospel. Christ, our brother, is also strong. I know this is going to shock most of you. But I wasn't one of the popular kids when I was growing up. (laughs) And when you're a shy and awkward little kid that people like to pick on, there's nothing quite like having a stronger, older brother. Now, mind you, my brother, three years my senior, didn't hesitate to practice his WWF moves on me and humiliate me in front of my friends. I'm pretty sure that Ric Flair's figure four was his particular favorite. (laughs) But if somebody else messed with me, well, look out. That was a different story altogether. Because all of a sudden, he would whip into hero action and rescue me. There were great advantages to having an older brother when facing bullies on the playground. Spiritually speaking, there's no greater bully to the believer than the devil. The one who has the power of death in his hands. Satan strikes fear into the hearts of humanity, dangling our mortality in front of us, taunting us with the grave penalty of our sin. And as those enslaved to sin and to death, we desperately need a big brother to confront the evil bully of our souls. Christ, our brother, is strong. And through his death, he has destroyed the one who has the power of death, the devil. And he has delivered us from the fear of death. Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law, but Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The popular contemporary hymn in Christ alone says it this way. 
no guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand until he returns and calls me home here. Here in the power of Christ, I'll stand. Christian, you don't need to fear death. You can face it head on in the power of Christ, knowing that it's simply the gateway to endless life, light, and love. Satan may be the one who has the power of death, but it's only because it is given to him by God. His exercise of that power and the fear that he instills can only reach the limits God has placed upon him. And when Jesus Christ, our strong brother, baptized you with his spirit at your salvation, he placed a seal upon you that says, mine, hands off. Satan's fate was sealed at the cross, and his demise is as good as done. I'm in a hymn-quoting mood today. Luther says, in a mighty fortress, the prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word will fell him. One day, we all, if the Lord tarries, will follow our brother, the Lord Jesus Christ, in death. And we will just as assuredly follow him in resurrection to immortality. Amen. Verse 16 concludes the comparison of Jesus to angels, which we've seen in the last uh, several weeks in these opening two chapters. And in verse 17 and 18, the writer's making a transition He's preparing us for two major themes that he's going to develop moving forward. And he'll address them in reverse order of how he presents them here. He'll develop the idea of Jesus, our merciful high priest, in chapters 4 and 5. And Jesus, our faithful high priest, in chapters 3 and 4. We're going to briefly touch on these today. But we'll further develop these ideas in the coming weeks as we get to these passages and unpack them. The term high priest first occurs in the book of Hebrews here in our passage today in verse 17. And interestingly enough, Hebrews is the only book in the New Testament that describes Jesus as the high priest. What a blessing and a gift that we have this book in the scriptures. As we'll see in the weeks ahead, this is a glorious, wonderful doctrine of Christ being our high priest. The third point in your outline is that Christ, our brother, is merciful. Jesus has come not to help angels, as the passage says, but it was to us that he stooped for a time, that he might help in our greatest need as a merciful high priest. And in order to be truly merciful, he had to be empathetic to our condition. And the only way he could be empathetic was to be made like his brothers in every respect. In chapter 4, verse 14, later, 
We read, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. In verse 18 of chapter 2, he says all of that a little more concisely, doesn't he? For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. It was necessary for Jesus to suffer, to suffer with us that God might accomplish bringing about his eternal family. I mean, how could he be our brother if he were distant from us and distant from our condition as humans. Christian, you can find great comfort in knowing that when Jesus extends his tender mercy to you in your time of temptation, in your time of suffering, that his mercy comes from a soul and a body of understanding. He is not a distant God who's unable to sympathize with us, but he was tempted just as we are. When you face one of the great difficulties of life, betrayal of a close friendship, relationship, the death of a loved one, rejection of a spouse, a parent, or a child, you don't need somebody who can quote scripture to you and give you platitudes. You need someone who understands. Someone who can sit with you in your grief with a heart of sympathy born out of experience. I think often we're tempted to think that Jesus doesn't really understand our situation. I mean, after all, he's God. He didn't fall into sin like we do, so how can he truly empathize? This is one of the reasons that it's important for us not to shortchange or minimize Jesus' humanity. The writer of Hebrews goes out of his way in chapter 4 to say that Jesus has been tempted in every respect as we are, yet without sin. And the fact that Jesus didn't succumb to sin actually makes his suffering of temptation greater than ours. He took all of the temptations that we experience all the way up to their agonizing end without giving in. When we succumb to sin, we choose to give in instead of enduring, instead of struggling against it. Jesus never gave in. And in his humanity, he suffered beyond anything we will ever know of. This knowledge should enable us, as the writer says, to draw near to his throne of grace with confidence that place where he's already told us that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us even now, pleading for us with his wounds, one who understands, one who knows our frame. And in going to him, we will receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And this is what makes him Christ, our faithful brother. 
In his role as high priest, Jesus makes propitiation for our sins. This is a wonderful Bible word that we will explore more thoroughly in the weeks ahead. In essence, it means that Jesus made atonement for our sins on the cross, taking upon himself the wrath of God that was due to us. Jesus was a faithful high priest in the service of God. He pushed through the temptation in the Garden of Gethsemane and was fully obedient to the Father, drinking the bitter cup of suffering to the very last drop. Without the faithfulness of our elder brother, finishing the work that God called him to, the work of the cross, we would be utterly lost. Praise God for his faithfulness. Yom Kippur is the day of atonement under the Old Testament sacrificial system. It was the one day in the year when the high priest would enter the Holy of Holies, that most sacred place in the tabernacle and later the temple. And it was there that he would make atonement for his own sins first and then the sins of the people. And in that holiest of places, the Ark of the Covenant was kept. The cover of the ark had two golden angelic cherubim whose wings stretched out to form the mercy seat where the glory of God resided. The high priest would sprinkle the blood of sacrifice on the mercy seat once a year as a propitiation to atone for the people's sin. The root word translated propitiation is translated elsewhere, mercy seat. Jesus is our propitiation. Jesus is the mercy seat. He is our atonement. It was to him that all the rituals of the day of atonement, all the rituals of sacrifice in the Old Testament were pointing to. He was the fulfillment of the sacrifice for sin. Indeed, his is the only sacrifice that can cover sin for those who came before and those who've come after the cross. And Jesus' sacrifice is sufficient for all our sin because he is a faithful high priest. Hallelujah, what a savior. If you feel far away from the Lord today, remember that Christ your brother is near. He's not ashamed of you, no matter what you've done, because he's fully paid for your sin by his precious blood. He shared in our humanity and has endured and suffered temptation far beyond what you will ever have to suffer. He stands ready to give you comfort and peace if you will come to him. If you're feeling weak and afraid, remember that you have in Christ a strong brother. He's conquered death and the devil for you. And he'll walk beside you every step of the way as the great shepherd of the sheep. Even in death, he will be with you and you have nothing to fear. And if you're weighed down today with the guilt of your sin, then remember that you have in Christ our brother a merciful and a faithful high priest. One who is ready to help you.
one who has made atonement for your sin, one who is interceding for you even now, one who loves you beyond your wildest imagination. Stop looking to yourself. Stop looking at your sin. Look to Jesus. He is enough. He is both merciful and faithful. Let's pray. Oh God, what a glorious truth today that we can find assurance in this reality that Jesus is our brother. And so, Lord, we pray that you would give us that understanding. Help us to appreciate this wonderful truth that we have in him, one that we can go to, the one who is our mercy seat, the one who atones for our sin, the one who is at the right hand of the Father. And so, Lord, we come to you today with all of our wants, all of our needs, all of our guilt, all of our sin, all of our lack, all of our shame. And we ask you, Lord, to take it. To take it away by the power of the cross. And we rejoice, Lord, that in the cross, death has been crushed to death. And we have nothing to fear. Help us, Lord, to grab onto this reality as we walk in the days ahead. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.